0: You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 47. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hi there. I hope you are having a great week and enjoying the beginning, the official beginning of the fall. Whether you've been told that you have a sweet tooth, you crave salty chips, or quench your thirst with sour lemon in your beverage. The richness of tastes makes our life more exciting. In today's episode, my guest helps me to unpack the miracle of taste as well as its powerful medicinal effects on our bodies. My today's guest is Brittany Wood Nickerson. Brittany is a practicing herbalist, author, health educator, and cook. Her knowledge of nutrition and a passion for using food as medicine is beautifully combined with her training in Western, Ayurvedic, and Chinese herbal medicine. Brittany is the founder and primary instructor of Time Herbal, where she teaches the three-year herbal apprenticeship program as well as courses in earth-based ritual and spirituality. Her teaching and learning approaches emphasize personal empowerment, holistic self-care, and intentional living. Brittany is a passionate teacher and inspirational speaker, presenting at conferences and for programs throughout the country. She is also the author of the Everyday Living series posters and signs for the home, the Herbal Homestead Journal and her book Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen. By the end of today's episode, Brittany will help you to connect your senses and awaken your taste buds. You'll be able to understand how different tastes affect our bodies and promote health. Enjoy. Good morning, Brittany. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I want to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit of how you started in herbal medicine. Tell us your story.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, I found myself in a course in herbal medicine when I was in college. Um, I grew up here in western Massachusetts where I still live. And um, I went to college at UC Berkeley in the Bay Area in California. And during my junior year, um, a housemate at the time was going to what she called herb school. Mm-hmm. And I, I, all I had to do was hear that she was going to herb school. And I had tons of questions. And um, the, the woman who she was studying with had another course the following year. And I signed up for it and um, took it. Um, and it was, I think I was, you know, like I said, I was a junior in college and it was a year long course. And I think I just sat down in that course and probably from the first day I was there, just knew that that was what I was supposed to be doing, Mm. um, in terms of my work and, um, those kind of next steps. And then as I started studying and tracing it back, I realized that, um, I had really been interested in it since my childhood. I had had. Um, A couple of mentors in my community growing up who were herbalists Mm-hmm. who I had always asked lots of questions to. And I remember asking uh, what kinds of books should I read? And I was totally the weird one in the dorm who so <laughs> was always taking like, you know, weird teas, weird, quote unquote, you know, yes. um, weird in the context. Um, but you know, and I never thought anything of it cause that was just how my family was also. Yes. And it, I don't think it ever really occurred to me that that was necessarily going to be a career path until I took that course. And then it was, it was just clear. So clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went on to continue to um, study um, you know, with different teachers and whatnot, to, more towards clinical herbalism. But really, even just after that first in- introductory course, what happened for me was all of what I was learning became part of my, um, the transformation of my learning in the kitchen. So I, I had loved to cook Mm-hmm. Pretty much always, but then especially in college, living on my own, I really started diving deeper into cooking, mm-hmm. and I was incorporating all that I had learned in my herbal studies into the cooking. And the people around me were really interested, and everybody wanted to learn more. It was the kind of the beginnings of the local food craze. And there was a lot of intrigue around it. And so, when I graduated from college, I immediately started Time Herbal mm-hmm. um, in 2008. So mm-hmm. this, we're celebrating our tenth year this wow. year. Wow! Congratulations! Um, and I started. Yeah, thank you so much. It feels like a exciting milestone. Yes. Um, But, you know, the business was quite different then. I was mostly teaching cooking classes, Mm -hmm. um, and that was really what my community was hungry for at the time, and that was really wonderful and inspiring for me. And then as I evolved as an herbalist and started my clinical work, I started teaching more and more specifics on herbal medicine, um, and, you know, it has evolved into the three-year program um, that I have been teaching the last couple of years, where folks can you know start to study herbalism for reasons ranging from personal interest and self-care and to professional development um or career goals around herbalism so um i've trained a lot of different people and some of them just use it for home use and personal development and other people are using it for you know i have many students who are practicing as herbalists which is really inspiring and exciting
0: that is wonderful thank you so so um i have a couple of follow up questions for this um you mentioned that you started your business. Your business has a very interesting name, Time Herbal. Tell us how um, yeah. how it developed, and tell us a little bit more about your philosophy in your business.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Time Herbal is the name of the business, and it's time like the herb T H Y M mm-hmm. E. And um, I think that the importance of that for me is that. Uh, Several fold, but one of it is that it's a fami- it's an herb that's familiar to a lot of people. It's mo- it's more common in the mainstream, mm-hmm. um, and so you know the fact that people can resonate with it um, still. Like a lot of herbal medicine has been kind of lost and removed from um, popular or colloquial culture. Mm -hmm. but time as a cooking herb has not and many people still have relationships with that and so I think that the fact that there might be the opportunity for an individual connection to the plant for which the business is named feels really important to me Um, and also um, the fact that uh, the cooking with herbs heritage while we have forgotten perhaps some of why we cook with herbs for medicinal purposes. You know, most Mm -hmm. people just cook with herbs for flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, That 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 heritage is still there. That it's sort of this this deep underground thread that exists whether we are conscious of it or not. And to me, I think that's one of the important, powerful pieces of herbal medicine. There's always a thread in um, holistic healing of any sort that is sort of the underground thread, right? So, you know, someone comes in for an herbal consultation and you give them some herbs and there's, you know, many transformations that happen in their life. One of them is the attention to self-care. Mm-hmm. One of them is that they're nourishing themselves. And, and you know, the other is that they're actually taking these herbs that are having some physiological effect, right? Very so so I, I just feel like metaphorically for me, it really represents a lot of um, what, I'm about, and so you know that brings me nicely to the philosophy of the business, um, which you know there's a couple I mean one of the primary philosophies is that um, it be a really authentic expression of the work that inspires me mm-hmm. um, because I think that that um, you know one of my gifts as a teacher is to teach on what i'm inspired by, and so I really thrive both as to be a role model in our culture, but also just because that's how the work comes out best, um, to have the business um, really support um, a a lifestyle that is inspiring for me, that motivates me, and that nourishes me, right? So that's one of the underpinnings of it, Um, and that it always be a true authentic expression of um, my of my work and what's what's kind of filling me up, and I believe that if that's happening, then what radiates out from the business is going to be you know really beautiful and um, and the most beneficial for like the community, et cetera. It so is, that's a primary um, yep. philosophy for me. Um, and then you know beyond that, the the goal is really to help to empower people so that people have. Skills and tools to feel empowered around their their ability to care for themselves, um, and to feel that they have agency in that process. So rather than you know, the kind of disempowerment that happens in most of our current modern healthcare system working towards a model of empowerment um, and the fact that that be earth-based so that we are not seeing ourselves as separate from our ecosystem and our environment, natural or unnatural, but that we see ourselves as one with that, that we can't separate our health from the health of the environment around us, whether that be our home or our family um, or the earth. Um, and then the, the last piece that also feels very important to me um, is the constitutional model of wellness. So I really believe that we each, um, that there's no one size fits all model when it comes to health, that we each are our own individual unique organism and health is a state of balance that exists as something completely different for each of us. And so, and I love that piece. I love the kind of mystery of, you know, getting to know each individual person and figuring out what balance might be for them. And, you know, I don't recommend, you know, vigorous cardiovascular exercise for everyone in my practice. Some people need gentle deep breathing yoga. Some people need intense cardiovascular activity. Some people need something in between. And so the crafting of that to really honor each individual soul and physical evolution Um, feels really important and also empowering because I can't tell you how many people have been disempowered in our culture because they don't fit into a model um, that is the kind of one size fits all model. Um, So that feels really important. I think there's a lot of natural health in our culture that gets confused with um, beauty and appearances and presentation and but the constitutional model allows us to really cut through that and be, and, and say, you know, here, here you are being the most beautiful version of yourself. Um, and that inspires me and I have found that it inspires my students and my clients
0: as well that is so beautiful. And I love how it all comes together so wonderfully. So I have to tell you that thyme was one of my favorite herbs for the longest time. And probably uh, one of the reasons for that is I come from Eastern Europe and spices were not as popular as they are perhaps in many other cultures. And so thyme was my gateway Uh in a a way because it was very easy. It wasn't Mm -hmm. too spicy. So I knew that I could add it to many of my dishes and it wouldn't be too pungent or it yeah. wouldn't be too hot. And so that kind of like became the first spice that I became comfortable with. And so it really resonated. And I remember the first time when I saw uh, your name of your business, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. There was clearly a connection. So, yeah. So, yes, I, I wanted to. That, to... That, I love that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then the other thing that you also talked about a lot is empowerment and um, teaching people how to really understand understand what's going on with their body and what's going on uh, around them. I know that um, as a business, you have a number of different goals from uh, lifestyle goals to nutritional goals and practices and environmental goals. And I truly appreciate that you are thinking uh, about uh, different aspects of life and sharing it with your students and with your patients. And speaking of your uh, students and patients, I know that the business has uh, various facets as we discussed discuss so you see clients you teach students you make medicines you write um, how do yeah. you combine these interests how how does it how does it work to elegantly combine all of this together
1: yeah um, it's a good question I think that um, so, so the primary goal for me is education and that mm-hmm. comes from the empowerment place mm-hmm. so um, I've I felt from a very early um, place in the development of the business, I made a decision that rather than making things and bottling them and selling them, I would rather teach people how to make them themselves because I really believe that the loop and the healing becomes richer when we make our own medicine, Mm -hmm. when we identify our own plants, you know, that sort of thing. So I made a decision to be an educator. So, you know, the teaching of classes And the writing, um, and you know, we also I also make posters. Um, I have I collaborate with Chelsea Granger. She does the illustrations, Mm and I do the writing. So all of these pieces are designed to be like educational, Mm -hmm. Um, and that the goal of that is to foster this empowerment piece that we've been talking about. Um, And so they all you know fit together really well. And I would say also that consultations really like working with clients. Um, I don't call them patients because I'm not licensed to do that, but I, you know, I call them clients and when I work with clients, I work with them in a very educational way. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of educating them around their body and health and things that might support them. Um, So, you know, that all fits into that goal for me of, you know, educating and empowering. Um, And, you know, so when I, I've written a variety of different um, books and these posters and then, About three years ago, um, I started working on um, my first book with a traditional publisher, Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a really big project. And so when I began that project, I actually stopped seeing clients. Okay. Um, Oh, and I should say that seeing clients has been a really important part of the business because I'm teaching folks how to use herbs for, you know, home use all the way up into working with clients. And so for me, having my own practice and working with clients was a really important part of getting the experience to be able to teach that. Of course. Um, So, um, but when I started writing recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, I needed to get some more time in my schedule. So I actually cut way back on seeing clients. I didn't see new clients for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, you know, I needed that time. And then when I, when, you know, about a year before Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen um, came out, which was last June... I was, I got pregnant with my first child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't seen clients in you know two years. I haven't seen okay. new clients in about two years. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of experimenting with, you know, this, you know, how I'm going to, wh- where I'm going to go with that. And it's been really great to have these new students that are coming out and feeling ready to see clients. And it's ex- really exciting. And I've been referring people to them and that feels great. Um, so, And I've been studying astrology the last couple of years, and I've been starting to see more clients um, reading their astrological birth charts. Um, and, you know, I do, I weave some herbalism into that as well. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, like I said, always evolving um, and bringing what inspires me into the practice. Um, and to answer your question about medicine making, I have never made medicine to sell
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: as products um, I do make some medicine that I make available to my community and to my clients. Um, but for the most part, I let go of that because I felt like I couldn't do everything. And I was more interested in teaching people how to make the medicine. So I'm really lucky to have a couple of local apothecaries in my area that mix tinctures and teas for my clients. So I usually rely on them. And then that's great because it gets the clients into those places and, and helps to build the herbal community
0: that that's great thank you uh the reason why i brought up medicine making is because i remember getting a couple of fabulous syrups from you and so i really enjoyed enjoyed taking them and enjoyed using them so um and also there are uh, those might have been my husband's form ah okay was that recently yes that was recently that was in early june yeah there was an elderberry and ginger yes
1: yeah So my husband owns an organic vegetable and flower farm in Amherst, um, which is about 30 minutes from here. And they pioneered growing ginger and turmeric in the Northeast um, in, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago. Um, And it since has become um, uh, something that more more and more farms are doing, but they make these value added products with their fresh ginger and turmeric. They make um, honey sweetened syrups, um, and they have an elderberry turmeric one, a ginger one, and a turmeric one, a plain turmeric one, and they're really delicious. So sometimes really when I bend, I bring those along. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now. So m- that
1: I think that's what you're referring to.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that has been, that's good. I don't have to do that, but I get to (laughs) to support that
0: in my own way. (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you. So, um, you talked about, uh, writing your first book, uh, recipes from the herbalist kitchen. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wanted to ask you, how did the idea come to you that you wanted to actually put together this first book? I know you love cooking with herbs, but what, what happened?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's such a good question. I love that question. Um, So, and, it, and it's, I, I think I love it because it just, it, it reveals the human process that goes on for each of us when we, you know, set out to do something or have an idea. And, and what it evolves into is always so different than the original thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was, I have my different zines and one of them is called Cooking for Winter Health Wellness. Um, and then I also have the Herbal Homestead Journal. And my zine is sort of an informal self-published magazine um, and, but they're, they're basically like books. And so I was vending, um, at the Women's Herbal Conference in Northern New Hampshire one year, and there was a woman from a publishing company who was there and she came by and she said, she started looking at my pamphlets and she said, um, well, we're looking for someone to write a book on cooking with herbs. Mm. And so I, you know, I kind of put, took her business card and put it in the back of my mind and I had a meeting with her and um, she was really interested in all of my material and she really wanted to do a book with me. And my first instinct was, well, now I want to write a book. I don't want to write a book about, cause with herbs, I want to write a book about herbal medicine.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I was kind of pondering on that and thinking that I would still propose this book to the same publishers. And then my husband and I took a winter trip. Winter is usually a quieter time for us. I don't teach his farms in, mm-hmm. in hibernation. And so we took a, we took a trip and we were on this really beautiful long hike and all of a sudden I was like, I do want to write a book on Uh cooking with herbs. (laughs) Um, And I, I think what I realized is that, you know, really the, the process for me was feeling like I wanted to write a book that was more about what I was doing actively in my everyday life. Right. Like in my everyday life as an herbalist, I was teaching about herbs. And the food was a big part of that. I always wove it in. But, you know, I had this idea that the book should be about what I'm doing right now. And mm-hmm. But as I thought about it and meditated on it more and more, I realized, well, so much of my experience and what brought me to this work was the food, that food was the gateway. Yes. It was the invitation. And it still remains the foundation. Um, and so it, it was sort of this perfect moment of, well, of course I should, um, should re- have it be about that. Um, And of course, that's the best first book that I can write. And if I love it and it goes well, I can write a book about herbs after that. Um, So I think that that um, was sort of the inspiration and also just really feeling like um, it would be a good gift to the world that that to have a, a book about that was sort of a gateway, like a traditional cookbook. Um, I wouldn't say it's completely traditional, but there's a lot of parts of it that are like a traditional cookbook, but that is a really an invitation to open, open people's consciousness and their hearts and their minds to the healing power of herbs. Felt like it would be a good contribution I- to current literature on the topic.
0: I absolutely agree with you. And I think that a lot of my audience are beginners. And I think that uh, sometimes people need a little bit more time and have a little bit more of uh, inspiration to go deeper into herbs. And I think because all of us are eating food, right, and all of us are cooking in one way or another, um, this is such a perfect opportunity to really share this gift with people. And so I really love it. Yeah. I'm holding the book in my hands yeah. right now and I really have been enjoying it very much. And uh, what I appreciate exactly. about it is that you cover a lot of different facets. So you talk about understanding uh-huh. the tastes and how they work in uh in everyone's bodies. Um you talked about how food yeah. supports mind, body and spirit. I love that uh, uh you share yeah. your uh, actual recipes, but you also talk about how um to deal with cravings and how to eat and live yeah. uh based Based on the seasons there are so many and you even talk about yeah. um, uh, looking at your survival instincts and how to satisfy them yeah
1: um,
0: the we, we could yeah. spend many hours talking about it and so I do invite everyone yeah. that is listening to this to really uh, actually um, uh, get the book itself and really uh, enjoy and appreciate it but what I wanted to talk to you a little bit more today is talk about the tastes and their importance yeah. and what why yeah is this something that everyone needs to know? How is it that having our Mm -hmm. own senses and our own laboratory, if you will, can guide you to make best decisions? Yeah.
1: So I'm going to start by saying that one of the things that also inspired me to write this book is that I am often frustrated with the health um, um, maybe movement or environment that surrounds food in our culture, because I think that it focuses too heavily on what we're eating Mm -hmm. and not enough on how it's being eaten, how it's being prepared. So for example, we talk about like, there's, you know, the assumption that fruits and vegetables are good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't talk about, you know, maybe the importance of you know, cooking the vegetables to make them easier to digest, mm-hmm. or slicing them and marinating them and making a salad dressing to make them easier to digest, or the fact that you know raw vegetables are much more helpful during times of the year that are warm when the digestion is is strong than they are during the cooler seasons, and so we've developed a health culture where people only focus on what they're eating and not how they're eating it. Mm. so what that does is it kind of separates us from our body, it, it, it asks us to really not think about our cravings, and much more just to, to do what we're told. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I love about taste as medicine is that it brings all the empowerment back into our physical body. And I love the way you phrased it as like this lab, laboratory, like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're all walking around with all of the data, sensory experience, perceptive abilities that we need to be able to um, bring, in, bring in the taste of food and the medicine and then to be able to translate that into what's going to really nourish us. But we're not taught to develop those skills. And so instead, we go around using our mental faculties to absorb information that the culture and the experts feed us. Mm-hmm. And then we use that to translate that into what we think we should eat. And it's, so just even explaining that, it's like a totally different disposition. So to live in a way where we're trusting our body and our instincts versus to live in a way where we're just doing what we're told. Mm-hmm. And so I feel as passionate about living in a way where we're trusting our instincts as being a path to health as I do about you know, whether or not we're eating, quote unquote, healthful foods, because I can't tell you how many clients I've seen over the years that are convinced they're eating a healthful diet. And yeah, the foods, quote unquote, are healthy, Mm -hmm. but they're not the right fit for their constitution. So, you know, a great example is they're a, you know, thin, deficient person with weak immunity. This Mm -hmm. is just an example. And all they are eating is salad and raw foods. Right. And really, what they need are warmed, cooked things to revive the system and revitalize and rebuild. Right? The, that actually, their system isn't strong enough to be getting the nutrients they need from raw foods. Right. So it's not to say that raw foods aren't bad, and it, but it's just to say to say raw foods are better than cooked foods has nothing to do with it. Really, it's about what do you, as an individual, need to be nourished in this moment of your life. So. So, you know, the learning about the flavors to me is one of the most empowering things. My apprenticeship program, The Art of Home Herbalism, on the first day of class or the first, you know, month module in the online program, we learn about the power of taste as medicine.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so taste as medicine is that there's different traditions identify different flavors. I mostly stick with five flavors. Okay. Which is interesting because I have a strong background in Ayurveda, and Ayurveda actually recognizes six tastes. Mm -hmm. But but Chinese medicine and and many traditional Native American systems talk about five tastes. And so I, for simplicity, talk about five tastes in recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, Mm -hmm. and they are sweet, salty, which the salty category also includes mineral salt, Mm -hmm. um, sour, bitter, and pungent. Okay, um, and the sour category is where I lump in astringency, and astringency is the sixth flavor category in Ayurveda. But for simplicity in the book, I I kind of talk about um, astringency, but I don't make it a whole flavor profile. Right.
0: Um, so, so those
1: are the five flavors, mm-hmm. and yes,
0: yes. But when you are saying um, sweet or salty or sour, we're not talking about M and M's, right? No. Okay. No.
1: <laughs> so um, I can talk a little bit about each of them quickly, sure. but um, just as an overview, um, when we experience these tastes, they either indicate the presence of certain constituents in a food or a plant, mm-hmm. which then tells us something about the nature of how they will be in the body,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or they have a physiological effect that triggers something in the system that has a medicinal effect. Okay. So, Let's start, I, I, I talk about them in that order for a very specific reason, because the flavors go from the heaviest to the lightest. Mm-hmm. So sweet and salty being the heaviest, sour being in the middle, and the bitter and pungent at the end being the lightest of the flavors. Mm-hmm. So sweet, you're exactly right. We're not talking about M&Ms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and actually, in general, sweet, as talked about by traditional healing systems, is you know it's not really about sugar or you know anything like that. Um, it is sweet, both sweet and bland, mm-hmm. and so it's really about foods that taste kind of bland, such as brown rice, millet, potatoes, quinoa, sometimes beans, although they also have an astringency to them. Um, fruit of any variety um although some fruits like strawberries and blueberries and raspberries also have a sourness to them so mm-hmm. you can see already that we can have the existence of two flavors side by side right um and then protein based things so dairy based products um things like milk um and um, cheese would have both sweet and sour, but milk, we can definitely identify with a sweetness, butter, we can identify with a sweetness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then eggs and proteins, right? So like things like chicken, fish, they have a blandness to them, right? Mm-hmm. So we jazz them up with herbs to make them taste good. But so the importance of the sweet bland category is that these foods are the most nourishing. They help the body to build substance, they build muscle, tissue, bone. They build the fluids of the body, including blood. um, And they really help to build what we consider the substance or the earth of the body. If you have too much of them, you gain weight, right? You would would amass fat, which we're very afraid of in this culture. But there's sometimes when that's a perfectly healthy thing to do. Um, Some constitutions like to have a little more meat on their bones, and some phases of life, particularly postmenopausal, it's really healthy to have um, some fat. And so um, those are the staple foods of the world. They're what agriculturalists have used for centuries to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. And before that, hunter-gatherers through, through hunting would use these foods to sustain themselves. The difficulty with them is that they're the heaviest, right? So the heaviest right. and the most nourishing go together. And so the, 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 if you have too much of them, they can bog down the body. They can make you feel sluggish, tired, unmotivated. Mm-hmm. They can lead to constipation and mucus buildup and what have you. So what the solution is, the practice of traditional cookery. We combine flavorful, light tasting herbs and spices, mostly from the pungent bitter category, into these sweeter foods and jazz them up a little to support the digestion. So that's the biggest thing there. Um, To talk a little bit more about the other flavors, salty is both true salt, the taste of salt, table salt, um, I do always recommend that people consume unrefined salt rather mm-hmm. than refined salt. Unrefined mm-hmm. salt usually has a color to it, and it contains minerals and trace minerals. Um, and that's a better food. It, you consider that to be a whole food salt, right? Whereas a refined salt would be more like eating refined Ross. flour or refined mm-hmm. sugar.
0: And there are so um, many different salts. So, yeah. I- yes yes exactly we it's just it amazes me like how uh, all of a sudden this whole area of the market has exploded you can find lava salt and you can find just so many different things and they're all so beautiful and they taste a little bit different so yeah
1: it's true that the the the, um consumer food industry doesn't miss a beat do they yeah oh, unrefined salt's popular. Let's get all these different kinds out there. But right. it is great for us as consumers to have such a diversity available to us. Um, so, And sea salt can be either refined or unrefined. Okay. So for folks to keep that in mind as you're you know, out there consuming in the world, um, and you can just look on the package, is it refined or unrefined? And if it's unrefined, they'll usually state as such because they're proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you'll find that these salts taste different They actually, they're they're still salty, sure, but they're not salty in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, I really feel that they have made the food that I cook so much more flavorful um, and alive tasting to use these unrefined salts. Um, And so, you know, again, a lot of times people talk about in our culture that too much salt isn't good. Um, but actually, unrefined salt is a really important part of the diet. Every single traditional diet in the world includes, salt, included salt in it, even if they had to travel long distances to acquire it. Um, or the minerals and the trace minerals. Um, and, you know, it's, it actually, the flavor of salt is stimulating to the digestion. you put a little piece of salt on your tongue, you'll find that you salivate. The The saliva carries enzymes that help to break down food and that all the way down the GI tract, the salty flavor, stimulates the secretion of digestive enzymes in the stomach and in the small intestine. So it's actually a digestive stimulant to have your food be mildly salty. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem we run into is that in our culture, we, a lot of people eat a lot of processed foods and processed foods, even sweet ones like cookies and sodas and stuff have high amounts of sodium in them. And it's usually refined sodium, which is harder for the body to process. And then that, that can lead to too much salt can lead to water retention, which can become an issue for high blood pressure. And that's the big thing that a lot of folks talk about in our particular culture. Um, Sometimes too much salt can also lead to bloating or water retention around um, premenstrual times too. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But I usually tell folks that if they're mostly cooking for themselves and they're using unrefined salt at home, um, that, that it's, safe to use salt to taste in your food. It's if you're eating a lot of processed food or if you're having issues with water retention that you might want to think about reducing your sodium intake. Um, And then within the salty category, there's also um, the mineral salt flavor. And the mineral salt flavor is um, when you taste a vegetable and it actually tastes salty. So celery is a great example, Swiss chard, um, spinach, you, you kind of have a bite of these foods, and there's like this almost metallic kind of salty flavor, and that's indicative of mineral presence in that particular plant. Um, nettle is another great example. It has the mineral salt taste, stinging nettle, so you don't want to taste it raw, but um, the stingy nettle has the mineral salt taste indicative of high minerals. Um, and herbalists out there know that nettles is one of the highest mineral plants. We know spinach is highly nutritious with chard, you know, et cetera. So if you ever taste that flavor, you're identifying with the flavor of minerals um, and it's very hard to overdo the mineral salt taste, right? That won't lead to water retention or bloating or anything. You can eat, it. for the most part, eat those as much as you'd like. <clears throat> uh. So then sour, also very stimulating to the digestive system, really makes you secrete lots of enzymes from the mouth all the way through to the swell intestine. Um, and it has a um, really wonderful ability to kind of contract tissues and solidify. So it's tonifying to the GI tract. Sour taste can be in excess can be irritating to the mucosal lining of the GI tract, particularly irritating things like acid reflux, heartburn, indigestion. So folks who have those want to be a little more mindful of their consumption of sour. But sour can range from sour fruits like blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, um, to things uh, oranges to the really sour citruses like um, uh, limes and lemons, um, and then grapefruits are kind of somewhere in between. Um, and then of course there's sour herbs like hibiscus and rose hips. Um, so there's a spectrum there. And in the cooking world, one of the most common sour flavors that I've encountered, um, specific to the Mediterranean, is sumac spice. Um, and sumac is actually a small, a shortish-growing tree that does grow here in the Northeast, um, and it's a makes a wonderful sour red addition to some foods. So. Um, that's an example from the culinary world. Too much sour would lead out to a lead to a dried out environment where there'd be over constriction and contraction of tissues. It can also irritate some people. Um, I've had students over the years that, you know, it's a hot day and they want a refreshing iced hibiscus tea and it makes them irritable because it really stimulates the appetite. So if someone has a fast metabolism or hypoglycemia, too much sour would overstimulate the appetite and probably make them um, Hangry, quote unquote. Uh, I love that term, where you kind of get hungry and then a little irritable. Very interesting. So good for people to keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, so then we have bitter, which is the most metabolically active of all the flavors. And bitter, the bitter taste, there's taste buds on the tongue that directly. Um, pick up the taste of bitter. That's their only job. They taste something bitter. And they're tied in with what we call the enteric nervous system. And the enteric nervous system is a branch of the autonomic or automatic nervous system, which governs digestion. And it has as, almost as many neurons as the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord. And it runs the length of the GI tract from the mouth to the anus, and it orchestrates every part of digestion, the opening and closing of sphincters, the release of enzymes, the release of bile from the liver and the gallbladder, the release of pancreatic enzymes, the movement of peristalsis, which is the muscular action that moves food through the GI tract. So it's literally every part of digestion is governed and orchestrated by the enteric nervous system, and all you have to do is taste something bitter on your tongue, and it begins the cascade, the kind of smooth, smooth moving, functioning cascade of the enteric nervous system. So, the addition of bitter foods and herbs into the diet is one of the best things that folks can do to support digestive wellness, um, and. It can, like I said, be as simple as a taste of it. Some traditions around the world, cultural traditions, have bitter foods built into the course of a meal so that the digestion is stimulated before the meal arrives. So a great example would be to have a first course of a salad of bitter greens. You, know, you sit down with a small salad, and you have some of the salad, and it stimulates the digestion. And then, you know, especially in European traditions, like French being the most the one that I'm really thinking of right now, you sit down, you have your green salad or some kind of a um, salad and it gets the digestion going and then you have your meal, which is often heavier, right? It might involve like starches, proteins, fat, but the body's prepared and able to handle it and digest it because you've primed the system, so to speak, with these bitter herbs and greens. Um, so that's a great example. Another example are bitters in cocktails as an aperitif before a meal. That also can kind of stimulate the digestion. Uh, Bitter is the single most absent flavor in the average modern American diet. We really tend towards sweet and salty and avoid bitter. Um, And so most people in this culture, their primary source of bitter is coffee. Um, which some people don't even drink bitter because they sweeten it with cream and sugar, um, and, um, alcohol-based things. So beer, the hops in beer are a great example of something bitter, or sometimes cocktails have a bitterness, but again, often cocktails are masked with sweetness. So it can be, you know, hard to get the bitters in. So I love bitter greens. I love radicchio and other members of the chicory family, including endive and frisee, um, some lettuces are bitter and then some salad greens are more pungent. Like arugula is a great example. Arugula has a bitterness, but it's mostly pungent, which is spicy. So you want to keep that in mind um, as well. Um, herbs, most of the culinary herbs have a bitterness to them. Um, things like parsley, thyme, rosemary, sage, they're both bitter and pungent, which is uh, those that combination of bitter and pungent is very metabolically active. Um, so, you know, Anytime you cook with herbs, you're actually supporting the the metabolism through the bitter reflux. Um, Bitter, I'm always very clear with my students and in recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, I'm very clear that bitter, pungent, and sour are actually meant to be additions or condiments to a meal, flavor accents rather than the meal itself. So again, the most nourishing of the foods are the sweet bland category. Again, not cookies, but things like these staple foods we talked about, um, grains like rice and um, quinoa and millet and starches like potatoes and and cassava and these kinds of things mixed with like meats and proteins and this sort of thing. Um, Those are the staple foods. And then we're using the other flavors to kind of accent and support the digestion of that. So it's not like just sitting down to a salad of bitter greens. It's a salad of bitter greens being a part of a larger meal that is the best recipe um, for great digestion. In Ayurveda, they say that you should have all of the tastes at every meal, right? So rather than crafting the plate around, am I getting enough protein, enough fat, enough this, enough that, it's like we're primarily looking at the plate as being full of these nourishing, sweet, bland foods with accents that add in salty, bitter, pungent, and astringent. Does that
0: make sense? It makes perfect sense, and I absolutely love how you put it together. I also want to remind our listeners that we had an entire episode on, on benefits of bitters, and I completely agree with you that this is something that in this oh, culture we really do not get enough. So if people are interested, it's the um, episode number 26, Benefits of Bitter with Guido so, um But I wholeheartedly wonderful. agree with you that uh, this is uh, a flavor that we need to experiment a lot more with.
1: Yeah, and through our, you know, through our diet, is a great way. And like I said, because most culinary herbs have the bitter pungent profile, anytime that you cook with herbs, and you can taste them, you're getting the benefit of bitter. Um, and then there's also a movement in the herbal world to make herbal bitters, which um, is you know, t- usually an alcohol extract, a tincture, if you will, um, that is the base is alcohol, and then you extract bitter herbs into it, and you have a few drops of that before a meal, and that's a strong medicinal taste of bitter that stimulates the digestion and supports absorption of nutrients. So going back to what I started this with is this conversation, not about just about what we eat, but expanding it to how we eat, Um, feels really important because we can be eating the healthiest food in the world, but if we're not digesting it well, we're not getting nutrients from it. Um, So bitters and bitter tasting herbs and bitter tasting foods and pungent tasting herbs and pungent tasting foods actually increase the absorption of nutrients in the GI tract and they support the health of the digestion so that when we eat those healthy foods, we get the most nutrients from them. Um, So that to me feels like a really important um, piece of this puzzle. And I didn't go into a pungent, but the pungent flavor, that last category is um, pungent. uh, Oftentimes people relate to it via spicy, but some things aren't spicy hot that are still pungent. So on the Mild end of the pungent spectrum, we have things like fennel seed and cumin and coriander. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have hot spicy things like cayenne pepper um, or black pepper. And then, of course, there's many spices in between, um, ginger, um, cinnamon, etc. cetera. So, so all culinary herbs, usually most culinary herbs, with the exception of like sumac and a couple others, which are sour... Most culinary herbs are either bitter or pungent or both. And so what we see after we review these flavors is that we see the perfect formula developing in our cooking. We have heavy bland staple foods. And as we cook them, we accentuate the flavors with salt that supports digestion, and with bitter and pungent things that lighten up the heaviness of the sweet foods, the sweet bland staple foods, and support digestion and absorption of nutrients. And that's the formula. That's the, that's the formula of traditional cookery. And so over and over again in recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, I talk about how herbs are being used to freshen up Enliven the senses and stimulate digestion, so that we can get the most nutrients from these sweet bland staple foods that we rely on for nutrients. But that if we're not digesting well, we're not reaping the benefits of.
0: Thank you. This is this was wonderful. Um, so, if someone is who's listening to this is uh, starting to apply these concepts, where do you think they should start? What's the simplest? What's the um, first step? Yeah. So I think the first step
1: is to become aware of the ways that you're already cooking with herbs, but also other diverse flavor profiles. So if you are someone who cooks, so this would be the first step for someone who already cooks. Um, And that would be to say, oh, you know, I listened to this podcast and I understand the flavors now and I'm going to bring the awareness into the kitchen with me. So next time I squeeze lemons over my greens or, you know, mix up a salad dressing, Or even grab a salad dressing from the refrigerator, I'm going to become conscious of the flavor profiles that are going on as I'm cooking and think about how the food that I'm already eating is engaging with these principles. So for me, that's the most empowering way to start because it starts with right at home at the foundation of how we're already eating. We're we're not even looking at, you know, what do I need to do differently? What do I, what am I doing wrong? It's just what am I doing and how does it relate to these principles? And then the second step would be to analyze it a little bit more and to say, am I missing anything in particular? Am I relying on any one thing too much? And are there ways that I could improve the, you know, make these flavors more complex through the addition of herbs or um, other flavors that would kind of, you know, jazz it up a little and maybe even make it taste better. Um, And that's when I would recommend folks start, you know, potentially cooking with more herbs if they're not doing it already and bringing that awareness into um, their cooking and their food preparation. If folks don't cook, then this would be an invitation to cook and engage some of these principles. Um, If they're not going to start cooking, then you can engage these principles. And even if you do cook it or you're going to start cooking, um, you can engage these principles when you're out and about. Um, Just start looking around at the food you're purchasing. Um, You go to a restaurant and you look at, you know, start to taste the herbs, start to taste the diverse flavor profiles, start to notice the formula that we've talked about, and and see how the food as medicine concept is playing out, even without you being aware of it or without them, you know, necessarily advertising it. You know, you can go to any pub and you know order a bowl of chili. And chili is engaging in the food as medicine concept because it's you know sweet, bland, nourishing foods like beans and meat and vegetables with sour the sourness of tomatoes and the pungency of chili spice. Right. So so you can just kind of open your awareness to it, and you'll start to see it everywhere that you that you are eating or cooking or what have you, and then. Once the awareness grows, you can start to make certain food choices based on, you know, your preferences and what feels good for your body, etc.
0: This is fascinating. Thank you so much. And this is a very, very good first step. So... My next question for you is, let's say someone is cooking, but they would like to get more herbs and spices. Are there uh, certain resources or certain places that you could recommend to our listeners? What would be a good place?
1: Yeah. Yeah, So another reason why I felt really called to write this book is because um, when I travel, I always check out the produce section and the grocery stores. And, you know, because I think as, as consumers, we get stuck in where we shop and where, you know, where I shop at my local co-op might be really different than a grocery store in California or Wisconsin or Florida or whatnot. So I've started noticing over the years that the availability of fresh herbs is more and more common. It's very common to be able to get fresh parsley, fresh cilantro, um, at a local grocery store. Um, and then Also, you can get dried herbs and spices at any grocery store. Um, And so any grocery store that someone's currently shopping at, the first step would be to say what's available here to me where I'm already shopping. Um, and then the second step would then be to assess the quality of that Um, and is the quality of the fresh herbs up to my standards is the quality of the um, dried herbs up to my standards and I usually tell people that that it's good to just engage in their senses you know if you buy a container of dried thyme and you open it up and it doesn't smell very fragrant or aromatic it's probably either old or not very high quality so all these herbs should have a really wonderful pungent fresh, vibrant, aromatic scent and a good color. And that's what you're looking for. Um, And that would be the same thing to look at on your spice shelf at home. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I have a couple of these herbs, but I haven't used them in years. um, Open them up, smell them, taste them, look at them. Do they look, smell, and taste vibrant, pungent, and flavorful? If they do, great. If they don't, it's time to compost them and freshen them up with a new batch. Um, oftentimes natural health food stores, co-ops have bulk, um, and chains like Whole Foods too have bulk herbs and spices, um, or high quality in the, um, already pre-packaged. Um, and then there's bulk distributors if you want large amounts like Frontier Herbs and Mountain Rose Herbs and Star West Botanicals, um, all have, are places where you can order bulk in wholesale, um, and get larger amounts of these herbs, um, so that can be a really great way to go too. And I forgot to mention, like, you know, often in the produce section, there's cilantro and parsley just bunched, but then there's usually clamshells, little plastic containers of many other fresh herbs, you know, poultry spice seasonings, which is thyme, sage, rosemary, you can get fresh, you can get um, fresh mint, all kinds of r- really amazing fresh herbs. And most grocery stores, if they don't carry them, can order them for you, for distributors. Uh, when I was on my book tour for recipes from the herbalist kitchen, I did a TV segment in Portland and I had, um, whole foods, which often carries these things anyways, order in exactly what I needed, the quantity and amount that I needed, edible flowers, mints, chives, everything that I needed, they ordered right in for me. And I just went and picked it up um, before my uh, demonstration segment. So, you know, even if you don't have, um, a store that's carrying them you can often or ask them to special order them for you
0: that's a great reminder. Thank you so much. And also during the summer, a lot of farmers markets will have tons of uh, fresh herbs and spices. And so that's also a very yeah. good uh, place to find them. One thing that um, when yeah. you were uh, speaking, I was thinking about um, buying in bulk and also storing. So making sure that things are perhaps stored in glass yeah. jars and glass containers, um, protected yeah. from sun. And also like my husband always reminds me that you don't buy a pound of cinnamon and, you know, like if, or if there are certain things that uh, you don't go through very quickly, perhaps it's not a good idea to yeah. buy a huge amount of them.
1: I think that's a really important reminder. And if you ever do find yourself with more herbs than you think you're going to use it a reasonable, a reasonable amount of time, you can always put them in the freezer, um, especially when they're powdered like cinnamon or coriander, or cumin or curry. Um, putting powdered herbs in the freezer for storage will make keep them fresher longer. But what you said about a glass jar or an airtight container is just really important, too, because at, the more oxygen it's exposed to, the more sunlight it's exposed to, the, that will all decrease the quality of the herb.
0: Thank you. I, I never knew about the freezing, but this is a, a great tip. Thank you so much. So uh, Brittany, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so as uh, we are coming to an end of our conversation, I have two more questions for you. So first one is how can someone continue uh, learning from you and perhaps learn a little bit more about you and your business? Uh, so any of your social media uh, presence, anything along those lines? And then my second question for you yeah. is, do you have a pearl of wisdom based on what we have discussed today that you would like to leave our listeners with yeah
1: um so yeah so i my my business is time herbal time like the herb t-h-y-m-e-h-e-r-b-a-l and my website is timeherbal.com my website is really the richest source of information um i have an online store with all of my book books and publications, including um, recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, which we sell costs. Um, and that's the cookbook we've been referencing today um, and it includes herbal profiles as well as recipes as well as profiles of all the flavors of medicine. So if that was really interesting to you, then that's a great resource for follow-up. And then I have my other books and my posters um, available through the shop. I also have a blog with lots of recipes. Um, including recipes for fermented foods and all kinds of other things ranging from snacks and appetizers to main courses, entrees, and desserts. Um, And then um, there's also information about the classes that I teach on my website. And um, I teach um, classes on earth-based ritual and spirituality as well as herbal medicine. And my most popular class, the Art of Home Herbalism, is available as an online class. And that has video tutorials for all the hands-on stuff, including harvesting of herbs and medicine making. And then it has audio recordings and different at-home activities and assignments and an online classroom with a forum. And um, it's a really wonderful program. So that's all available through the website. And then I have um, social media all under the name of Time Herbal. I have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, And you can actually access any of those three social media outlets through the social media outlets themselves or through the website. Um, On the website, there's links to all those social media pages. If you have one that you'd like to follow, we'd love to um, have you and see you there.
0: Perfect. And I will definitely include them in our show notes.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. And as for a pearl of wisdom, um, I think that it's really easy in our culture amidst all of the health conversations and information available from experts um, to get overwhelmed and to do a lot of self judgment. And so, you know, my approach is really that the healthiest we could be is to have a positive relationship with ourselves. And that would extend to having a positive relationship around our food. And so for me, I feel like, you know, the best. Kind of wisdom or advice to leave with folks is to say that it that to really focus on what you're doing, being good enough, not beating yourself up about things, um, doing the best and letting it be good enough, and also that it's never too start. You can never start too small. So you know, some one person might feel really gun ho to just dive right into this, and um, someone else might feel like they only have limited time and resources available to them, or maybe they're thinking to themselves, "I'm not going to cook." Um, I I am going to be, you know, eating out in restaurants or eating on the go. And so rather than spending a bunch of time criticizing yourself for that or feeling like that's not good enough um, to instead engage these principles in the context of what's available to you, And to let that be good enough. And maybe someday you start cooking and maybe someday you don't. That's just kind of who you are and what's going on for you at this point in your life. Um, So I think that that's a really important thing because we really emphasize perfection and overachievement in our culture. And there's this idea that if we don't go big and we don't do things perfectly, we're not good enough. And that's just not true. Um, So I think that level of bringing that level of empowerment to our self care is actually one of the most nourishing things that we can do for ourselves. To believe that when we care for ourselves, we're caring for ourselves well, Um, even if it's not the ideal, but it's just as good as we can do right now. Again, accepting, doing the best we can and accepting it as good enough, I think is really important medicine.
0: Brittany, thank you so much. This is so beautiful and so wise. I am so appreciative of your time and your advice and your wisdom, and um, it was absolutely delightful. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Brittany Wood-Nickerson. You can find all the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 47. I have put together a short guide of tastes and flavors that Brittany discussed in this episode, and you can find it in the show notes. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded on your device. And when you have a moment, join our community at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash community to continue discussing topics addressed in this particular episode and explore latest health and wellness-related news. This episode is proudly brought to you by the American Herbalist Guild. This year's symposium is October 25th through 29th at Unicoi State Park and Lodge in Helen in northeast Georgia. The theme for the 2018 symposium is bioregional herbalism, and this year's keynote presenter is the fourth-generation Alabama herbalist and author of the newly released book, Southern Folk Medicine, Phyllis Delight. For me, American Herbalist Guild is a place of learning and exploration, an amazing community of wise and passionate plant lovers. I enjoy attending this symposium because you get many opportunities to meet new teachers and practitioners and simply to have fun. I hope to see you in Georgia later in October. Thanks again for being here. I truly appreciate you. Be smart. Be Healthy, Be You.